Welcome to the X-Men Task Podcast, The Spider-Man Years. My name is Willie Simpson, and today we will be examining Episode 2, The Spider-Slayers. Now, uh, it would normally be right around this time where I'd be introducing uh, my lovely partner in crime, Sonia Rappaport, but uh, she is locked in a library somewhere cramming for her finals that are going to finish out her first semester of grad school. So um, she's in a bit of mental anguish right now, the good kind of mental anguish, but uh, <laughs> anguish all the same. So we wish her all the best. I'm sure if there are any university students listening, they know that right now, near the end of December, is quite a brutal crunch time. So Sonia will be back with us. And before I break down this uh, really wonderful episode, I just finished watching it. I was shocked about how amazing it was. Uh, I thought maybe uh, it would take a little bit to ramp up into Prime Spider-Man from what we saw in Episode 1, which was, you know, a nice episode, but not really, like, juiced up to the max as your typical uh, mid-Spider-Man entry is. Um, This is, like, right at power level 10, I thought, but we'll get into that. I just want to talk about some... Spider-Man news at large that's going out there in the world. Uh, Into the Spider-Verse comes out this weekend, uh, apparently to rave reviews. Um, it's the animated Spider-Man movie featuring Miles Morales as the uh, alternate Spider-Man. Um, it's one of these uh, movies where it seems to me, without knowing too much about it, it's like the Lego movie where you have a bunch of different intellectual properties converging because of, like, magical time portals and dimension hopping. So you get, like, all the different incarnations of Spider-Man, including the uh, infamous Spider-Ham appearing. Um, And they're all going to get involved in some kind of crazy dimensional portal hopping adventure. Uh, I guess it seems to be mainly a comedy, but uh, from what I've read, the visuals are amazing and the story is filled with incredible heart and uh, emotion. So that's pretty interesting to me. Um, I want to see it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to see it right away. Like I said, Sonia's in grad school. It's the Christmas holiday season. Uh, There's a lot going on. Uh, Work is especially busy. So, you know, once we get a brief vacation, we'll probably go to the movies and see it and then talk about it on the podcast here, maybe do a special episode. Uh, But until then, um, that's pretty exciting for Spider-Man fans. I'm happy that the movie's getting really good reviews and... Um, you know, like, people are rightfully are distrustful of Sony and their Spider-Man output. It's been mixed, to say the best. Uh, I guess Venom was a massive box office. I still haven't seen it yet. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not, I wasn't dying to see Venom in the movie theater. I heard it was pretty good. You know, good, not great. Um, you know, some people said it was not even that great. But, uh, you know, I still find Tom Hardy interesting. And it's a superhero movie, so eventually I'll see it. Uh, you know, but, you know, but that movie was a big hit, and this one is, like, eyeing up to be a big hit as well, so Sony, like, interestingly, riding the train on the Spider-Man character from a lot of different angles, uh, their partnership with Marvel and, uh, and allowing Spider-Man to join the MCU with the casting of Tom Holland, that seems to be a massive success as well, uh, so... You know, like, and there's a lot of talk as well, which might be disheartening to to fans of the Marvel universe at large, or at least the cinematic universe. That Sony, that once uh, Homecoming, the sequel to Homecoming, which I guess is called Far From Home, comes out, that that's the end of the Marvel uh, Sony Spider-Man sharing thing, and Spider-Man will fully go back to Sony, and they're not going to let Marvel use Spider-Man anymore, which would be a huge shame. Hopefully, somehow that gets resolved. 
Um, more like silly Spider-Man news related to that, I read that there's this rumor that Apple wants to buy Sony as a corporation, and some very uh, you know deep diving uh, internet people found some apparently found an old contract, the original contract between Sony and Marvel, which said that if the Sony corporation is ever sold, that the rights would revert back to Marvel. So Disney would get their characters back in the end anyway. I don't really believe that. Uh, it, that seems like a really specific, bizarre clause to include in a contract made over 25 years ago. Um, and I think that uh, – I don't think it's going to be that easy for Marvel to wrest control back of Spider-Man from Sony. I think this is going to be a long, uh, perhaps troubled marriage between these two corporations. Some people might be saying that's good, especially because they might like Venom. They might like Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, they don't – they're tired of the MCU connections. They like bizarre one-off type movies. I mean, I think Sony wants to do movies about Craven the Hunter, or they definitely want to do a Morbius the Living Vampire movie. Um, me, personally, I'm not too stoked for that kind of thing. Like, if you've listened to this podcast, you know I want all the characters in the MCU. Uh, and that's mainly because of Kevin Feige, his work on the, the Marvel movies. I feel like the second that guy quits or retires that um, it, it won't matter that Marvel controls other characters again unless they get someone as good as Feige to replace him because it's all just, a, you know, it, it has to be, the, the products have to be good for it to even matter. Look at the DC Universe. They control all their characters, every single last one, and they can't really seem to get it quite right. Oh, yeah, Aquaman, I think, comes out this weekend too, and that came out to very middling reviews. Um so, you know, it's it's not like just because it's not a matter of like I want Disney to control all these characters just so they can be in the same movies. I want I, I want that to happen because right now they have good creative people at the top making good creative decisions and it's more fun when all the characters are uh are there and you've got sort of unlimited possibilities. So uh, like I said, a lot of Spider-Man stuff going on in the news. I, I guess a lot of you will probably be going to see that movie. Let me know in the X-Men Test podcast Facebook group what you think of it, uh, if it's worth watching, if I, if I have to run to the theaters to see it. Because right now I'm kind of just like I'll see it when I see it. All right, anyway, so now, with all that out of the way, let's talk about episode two here, The Spider Slayers. So um, as I hinted at, th- this episode takes an enormous leap from episode one. It's, to me, Everything I love about this series, from what I remember watching it as a child and then rewatching it in a massive binge like half a year ago, um, in a blinding flash of like two weeks, I watched the whole five seasons. Um, this episode is insane. It introduces so many characters, so many subplots, villain motivations, all these wonderful things layered on top of each other. I'm not sure how I could even talk about it without sort of just going through the episode. Um, sort of scene by scene to to remember what I just witnessed. I, you know, it's it's almost hard to talk about an individual episode of Spider Man because many of them are not about broad themes like an X Men cartoon was. You know, uh, when the X Men were dealing with the Friends of Humanity, the general theme was about bigotry and racism and and things related to that. So you could talk in a more general sense. Um, the action was always couched in those those broad strokes in a, in a typical Spider-Man episode it's really like reading a comic you get so much information and it's really fast paced and it's a lot of the drama is interpersonal it's not really about a broader theme I mean the, in many ways the broader theme of the Spider-Man series is uh, evil scientists run amok which we'll see uh, in this episode clearly 
Um, and, you know, a lot of it has to do with the greed and selfishness of the major villains, as we'll see in this episode, Kingpin and, and Norman Osborn. But it's hard to, like, pin each episode down because so much is going on uh, both in Spider-Man's life and the world at large. So we're going to try our best here. Um, generally, I'd say uh, this episode opens with uh, a really cool flyby in New York City. It's that crappy CGI animation they were employing here that they I think they wanted it to be more revolutionary than it really was. But despite it not looking that great, I, I love the weird sound effects. You just really hear the wind blowing and the ominous music playing as Spider-Man swinging through the city, giving you know his opening monologue. Um, and then right off the bat, he's attacked by these flying drone things called Spider Slayers. Um, they're you know your typical like flying like robot eyeball things that can track Spider-Man, and they would they'll explode on impact. They move fast. Uh, they're relentless, uh, but luckily Spider-Man is an incredible athlete, as commented on by the people trying to kill him. In this case, uh, we get um, the father uh, of uh, Alistair Smythe, uh, Mr. Smythe. I forget his first name. I, I think they might have said it in this episode, but it, it escapes my mind here. Um, but Alistair Smythe is a great character in the Spider-Man series, as I think a lot of you know. He's this British uh, character voiced by uh, voice actor Maxwell Caulfield, who is an actor of like some minor fame. Um, I think I know him most famously from Grease 2, <laughs> which st- I stupidly watched a lot on HBO as a kid. Uh, definitely not the better of the Grease movies, but it has its own charms. He was the, the protagonist in that movie. But he's been in a lot of other you know productions and things. But a wonderfully voiced, voicing, uh, giving a voice to Smythe here. What a great character and what a great voice. Um, the voice acting, as I said, in the show, as good uh, as the X-Men series. Um, maybe not like quite as specifically memorable because in the Spider-Man show you have so many minor characters, uh, whereas in X-Men there's a lot of star characters but still uh, great uh, voice acting overall Um, so the general plot of this episode is that uh, the father, uh, Smythe and his son Alistair are working for Norman Osborn who we're uh, introduced to in episode 2 who's this uh, scientific industrialist of some kind, a, a real greedy asshole type figure as we all know from Spider-Man world he eventually becomes Green Goblin although in the continuity of this show Green Goblin comes much later and it's it's very bizarre how he's introduced um, because for instance Hobgoblin comes way before Green Goblin and that probably has something to do I forget what the reason why but probably something to do with the toy line that uh, Marvel is pimping out at the time they were owned by Toy Biz uh, uh, that corporation in the 90s and so much of the show is about, like, creating new toys to sell to children. So we're going to get, like, you know, for instance, the major robot villain in this episode is the Black Widow, an enormous black robot that looks like a really cool toy, actually. So anyway, Norman Osborn, um, I love the way he's drawn. It's just like in the comics where he has this bizarre, uh, like, floating, wavy hair of black and orange tiger stripes that just doesn't look like any normal human would ever have. I, I think it's definitely based off the original Steve Ditko drawings, and they give it to his son, too, um, Harry Osborn, who you see in this episode. Um, I just always, despite the hair looking really, like, bizarre and unnatural, I, I love the way it looks as an artistic touch. Um, this episode really draws heavily from the comic books in a really loving way. And like I said, this watching this episode is almost like reading uh, an early Stanley Steve Ditko uh, comic. It's just jam-packed with so much, like, stuff. Um, so, uh, anyway, 
Osborne has employed uh, Smythe, father and son. The son, uh, Alistair, is in a wheelchair. He's disabled. Um, that becomes a plot element later on. Uh, they're trying to kill Spider-Man, or at least capture him. I think Osborne has told uh, the Smythe uh, people that they're using these robots to capture Spider-Man and give him to the police. Uh, we'll soon learn, learn later that is a double cross. Um, they've also built this enormous... Uh, like I said, the spider, the Black Widow, which can only uh, be destroyed by the acid they use to uh, put it together. Like, they'll drop a little bit of acid in, in the machine to, you know, put another screw in to attach another weapon. Uh, that's a, an interesting little plot device. Um, so Spider-Man is being, um, uh, trying, he's trying to be uh, hunted down and killed. Uh, you know, he easily, he fairly easily evades the original spider slayers, those flying robot drone things. Um, he lands in some trash in a back alley, as he usually does, which I always think is a nice touch in Spider-Man. There's always landing in back alleys on top of garbage piles. <laughs> I just find that amusing, um, and, and always a nice character touch. Um, and Osborn is, like, initially upset about this. He's like, oh, you failed to kill him. And uh, in, in typical villainry, the Elder Smythe's like, no, this is just a trial. I've proven that my Spider Slayers can track down Spider-Man. And how they're tracking Spider-Man, it, um, you would think at first it's like they've got his, like, DNA profile or seat signature or something advanced. But later on, it turns out just to be that the, the robots just find Spider-Man's costume. So uh, pity on to any poor soul wearing a Spider-Man outfit in New York City, and which becomes a major plot element of this episode later. But I find that, like, I like that, like, goofy technology bullshit where really the computers can only just recognize the outfit and follow that. Um, if Spider-Man put on a different costume, uh, he'd uh, easily evade these things. Um, and so much for their great technology. But um, that's another point. We'll talk about that later. Um, we're introduced to many a new character in this episode. The first uh, is Felicia Hardy. She um, she actually might have appeared in the first episode. Uh, I already forgotten. But anyway, we, we get a, a, a better introduction of her. She is voiced by uh, veteran voice actress Jennifer Hale. Um, I was checking her Wikipedia page before recording this episode, and I noticed that she was uh, she's voiced a million things. Um, uh, probably a lot of different personal favorites uh, if you look at her uh, filmography. But the one that stuck out to me was from Knights of the Old Republic, the video game that uh, came out for Xbox and PC. I had the PC version. Uh, one of the best Star Wars RPGs ever made, if not the best. Uh, it, it is the best RPG. Uh, one of the best Star Wars video games, uh, I meant to say in more general terms. She voiced Bastila in that game, which I find rather interesting. Um, and like I said, she's done a million voices. She's great here as Felicia Hardy. A lot of character, a lot of personality and soul um poured into this part and um she's throwing a charity ball so she's meeting with jay jonah jameson she's the the wealthy uh heiress of a famous famous family in new york city the hardys uh she's a socialite herself and a a fellow uh college student of peter parker's uh so she's in jay jonah jameson's office saying that uh you know I, i need you to help me throw this charity event and uh you know we'll need a photographer there and uh, Peter Parker suggested, and J. Jonah Jameson hates Peter for whatever reason. I- I'm not sure why he hates Peter as a photographer. I mean, obviously, uh, Jonah hates Spider-Man, but Peter's the one that brings him the amazing pictures of Spider-Man. Maybe he resents that he has to pay him because the pictures are so good that, uh, you know, Peter's, like, unnaturally climbing up the ranks of the Daily Bugle more than any person naturally should. 
he's kind of like throwing an element of chaos into um, into a very like high upper crust world of New York City journalism, um, and that and Peter's like access to Spider-Man photos, which obviously he is the source of. Uh, you know, it, it's like it just throws like the little the universe out of whack a little bit, and it has a lot of negative re- uh, repercussions on a lot of different people, um, namely Eddie Brock, as we'll see in this episode. Um, it's I, I feel like it's like bizarrely Shakespearean, like the, the, you know, it, it's like one of those things where if something's wrong in the kingdom, be it Macbeth, uh, you know, like Lady Macbeth or whoever, it's like everything like starts acting weird in the kingdom. Like, the, the animals, uh, you know, there's, like, storm clouds, and, like, the, the natural world gets upset when the, 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 the natural order of human affairs are disturbed. And I feel like Spider-Man's presence in the world of New York City really does that in a lot of ways. And that's what this show's about on a deep, like, meta, interpersonal lever, level. It's like, Spider-Man, or Peter Parker's this wonderful guy with amazing powers, and he's trying to save... Uh, the world, but every time he tries to do something right, it just like creates a thousand more problems. Um, it's kind of like the theme they talk talk about in the Avengers Civil War movie that oh, since the presence of Iron Man, like the cataclysms in the world have increasingly exponentially gotten worse. They're supervillains now. Um, you know, it's stuff they talk about in other superhero movies too, like in uh, Dark Knight. Uh, they say that Batman's presence has like led to led to a lot of weirdos dressing up in costumes and and doing way more like, insane crime as opposed to the regular everyday crime. I think, so it's a common theme across superhero media, but I think in Spider-Man it's particularly the most interesting aspect. Uh, Spider-Man's role and presence in the city is really destabilizing, and it just leads to a lot of, like, like endless, like, ripples of negativity and, um, and, like, like in, like insane problems that like ultimately all like ripple back onto Peter himself. So Brock's uh, casting out as like the lead uh, photojournalist at the Daily Bugle like has such insane repercussions, uh, and it's mainly due to, to Peter Parker's you know like cheating the system in a weird way uh, in in rising through the ranks. So I, I get that's like a little bit of a. A complex idea, but it's something that we have to keep track of in the series um, because I think it's like one of the major themes. Um, anyway, uh, we're introduced to more characters. Uh, Kingpin, voiced by uh, veteran actor Roscoe Lee Brown, in one of the like most amazing vocal per- vocal animated performances of all time. Uh, as good as the character actor who voiced Apocalypse in the X Men, uh, this is just truly a great. Uh, part by uh by roscoe um the kingpin is so great and so memorable in this series that it almost it bothered me that uh marvel used kingpin as the major villain in the daredevil series because to me i i know kingpin crosses over over many like new york city based superhero adventure stories uh luke cage uh to name another one um, but to me, Kingpin works best as a Spider-Man villain. I think he was introduced in Spider-Man 2 in the comics as well. It's not even that uh, – it, it's not like he's a Daredevil character. Um, he was a Spider-Man character. I'm pretty sure about that. So uh, just like it's great to have uh, Kingpin be the ultimate major foil for Spider-Man in the series. And it's just, it's just such a wonderful uh, character as we're going to see 
going through these episodes. Like, uh, for instance, Kingpin's got this huge scheme set up. Uh, Norman Osborn is deeply indebted to him, and he's assigned Osborn a task. You uh, create something to kill Spider-Man, in this case, the Spider-Slayers and the Black Widow, and if you don't kill Spider-Man, uh, I get your full company. And Osborn's like, he, he realizes, you know, I just realized that either way you win. Spider-Man dies or you get my company. And Kingpin's like, that's why I'm the Kingpin. And that's a corny line, but uh, Roscoe Lee Brown delivers them with amazing panache. So uh, it's just like a really delicious moment. Uh, anyway, so there's this big uh, charity ball being planned. Peter Parker is hired as the photographer, uh, much to J. Jonah Jameson's uh, disgust. Um, Felicia Hardy is very excited that Peter's going to be at this ball. Um, she has, I mean, I, I was surprised that how much of the hot she has for Peter. She's really attracted to him. She looks deeply into his eyes when she sees him at the Daily Bugle office and is really excited he's going to be there. Um, she finds, you know, it's not like Peter Parker's a nerdy 15-year-old kid with glasses and is picked on. He is in his full, like, uh you know, handsome man out of his awkward shell phase, um, you know, like tall, dark and handsome, I guess. And, you know, and to me, that is like a big part of the Spider-Man characterization. Yes, he starts off as a nerdy weakling teenager, a science nerd, which he always remains a scientific genius, actually. But he grows up and, you know, uh, his spider powers do give him enormous muscles and, and, um, and and I guess puts him in incredible shape. So he would be an attractive guy uh, to any woman. And he's a smart guy too. So he's he knows how to flirt with girls. He's not awkward, and uh, he's not like a like a mouth breather or anything. He's confident. Um, and I I think it's like a realistic uh, evolution for the character in a general sense. Like I buy that Peter would grow up to be more confident with, with women. And and sort of feel just uh, as a man filled with energy and excitement. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that's attractive uh, to people in relationships. So Felicia digs Peter, which is funny. Um, like I said, so much is going on that it's like hard to even like keep track of my notes oh uh sonia mentioned in the last episode that the king pins bases in the roof of the chrysler building which is amazing it's just a nice uh touch um we also meet so then the party happens uh it's in J. Jonah jameson's apartment i believe he lives in this uh, fabulous penthouse so he's very wealthy uh harry osborne's at this party the son of norman osborne um he's a major character in the show um it, things get a little confusing because I forget the continuity of the comic book. I'm not sure if Norman Osborn's supposed to be the Hobgoblin. I don't think so. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I mean, definitely in the series he's not. At some point he might take on the mantle of the Hobgoblin or the Green Goblin. I forget which. Uh, he gets involved somehow. Um, it, this show confuses the whole Goblin continuity in general. So, it, like, between this show and having read all the comic books, it's all just jumbled in my mind as to, like, what happens with Norman. But, you know, that'll be exciting to see. But he's there. He's one of Peter's friends. Um, he's also friends with Flash Thompson, the star football player who used to pick on Peter in high school. Uh, I guess now, you know, Flash is – they're at the same college together. I don't think that happened in the comics. I think in the comics, Flash Thompson went to Vietnam, believe it or not, um, and he was a big war hero. Uh, Flash is an interesting character because he's he's a bad guy in the sense that he picked on Peter and he was a real jerk to him. And he hates Peter. And in this show, he's more of a romantic rival for Parker than anything. Um, but the the funniest aspect of Flash's character is that he's one of the few defenders of Spider-Man in the entire city. 
Spider-Man is often look on, looked on as a pariah, not to be trusted, and a weirdo and a freak. Um, even, especially in the comics, a lot of the superheroes don't trust Spider-Man. Uh, the Fantastic Four um, don't really like him that much. Spider-Man is always in this weird personal rivalry with the Human Torch for some reason, I guess because they're both young. So they're always fighting. The Avengers don't really trust Spider-Man, and Spider-Man himself is a loner and doesn't like to be uh, like to take orders and be told what to do. I mean, that's really... Like, to me, the true characterization of Spider-Man, a lot of that is Ditko-like weirdness, uh, which, good weirdness in this case. Um, but it's an element I didn't really love about the the reintroduction of the Tom Holland Spider-Man in the movies, because he was too willing to go under the wing of Tony Stark and to be an apprentice. Um, now, to me, that's not quite the character. I think it would have been more interesting for him to be the lone teenager who, in this world of other superheroes, is kind of not even trusted by them and... And to me, that makes Spider-Man all the more remarkable be- and one of the main heroes in the Marvel Universe because it's just it's just all the more interesting that a teenager is, like, one of the strongest, most powerful characters, and he doesn't have, like, the nicest relationship with all these other super-powered people. Anyway, that's a minor point. Um, uh, but still, like, it, just like the comics in this show, Flash Thompson, one of the lone defenders of Spider-Man, like a Spider-Man groupie, essentially. So at this party... Uh, Peter is there. Uh, Felicia is drawn to him right away. She starts dancing with him. They even she even like like goes in to kiss Peter, which I, I found kind of amazing. Uh, like when she's the kind of girl that knows what she wants and takes it. Um, and she leaves Flash in the cold, which I, I think we can presume that she was dating Flash, um, but just dumps him like incredibly quickly, uh, which is pretty humorous in a way. And um, Flash is filled with jealousy, so he decides to. As a prank to, um, he's got a Spider-Man costume, which he comments about how he had to rent it and it's very expensive. It looks just like the actual Spider-Man costume. He crashes the party in the suit to try to embarrass Peter. He goes up to him, dressed as Spider-Man, and he says, uh, Hey, Parker, stop taking pictures of me. You're really making me look bad in the press. Uh, which I think is like a funny, too, because it's a true thought that Flash Thompson would have because the the, the press against Spider-Man led by the editorialist uh, J. Jonah Jameson, is so tilted against him that if you were a fan of Spider-Man, you would hate not only the Daily Bugle's coverage of him, but you would know, like, personally, Peter Parker sucks too because he's adding to the whole negative perception of Spider-Man out there in the world. So, like, a pretty, like, just, like, clever, well-written, like, well-motivated character choices being made here. And then, in general, it's just funny to see Peter Parker. He knows immediately it's an imposter, and he's kind of amused by it more than anything. He could sort of tell that it's, like, not like, that even serious, like, it's just a joke, and him interacting with Spider-Man, it's just legit funny, like, you just have to watch the scene of him talking to the the Spider-Man fraud, and just, like, having this goofy reaction to him, I really liked it, I, I was, I was really impressed by that scene, um, like I said, the writing's really tight, uh, in general in this series, and, and this episode is no exception. In fact, it's on full amazing display. John Semper, the main executive producer and head writer, is, I believe, the head writer in this episode. So he's, you know, he's brilliant. Um, but the the problem for Flash is the Spire Slayer can only track, as I said before, the Spider-Man outfit. <laughs> so um, Flash has the unfortunate problem of wearing that outfit, and uh, he's he's attacked. J. Jonah Jameson's apartment is wrecked. Um, Peter, who, who actually took Aunt May as his date, uh, to this party, he has to hide it and protect Aunt May. He abandons her in a locked room. 
Um, he also uh, has to abandon Felicia as all this chaos is happening, and Felicia notices this, obviously, and is extremely pissed. Later on in the episode, she'll even though she kissed uh, Peter earlier, she'll dump him. Because like you're a flake, and how could you abandon me? You're a coward, and um, he's got he can't tell her anything. He's got no response to that, so he's forever uh, he forever can't quite make it happen with Felicia, which is a really great element in the show. Because I think even more than Mary Jane, he he's attracted to Felicia. Maybe it's just because she's the arch- archetypal like blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, um, like beauty queen. But and she's rich too, which I think he's attracted to that as well because he's always like scraping for money. He probably imagines himself as like living the the good life with Felicia, so he can never quite uh, get it with right with Felicia. But anyway, Flash is kidnapped. Um, he's flown back. The Spider Slayer picks him up and flies him like first to the moon, which I thought was a funny shot, uh, and then takes him uh, to Osborne's base. Um, and uh, Eddie Brock, meanwhile, has been working with Osborne. Uh, they want to film the unmasking of Spider-Man, um, and the Smythes are led to believe that they're going to give him to the police, but um, it's just, like, a whole great setup in general because Brock is, like, trying his best to, like, uh, win his place in the Daily Bugle and be, like, a, a respected journalist, and he really has an exclusive here. And he thinks Spider-Man's a legit villain, too, in a way, and he deserves to go to jail, So, and that he should be unmasked. So it's like Eddie Brock's motivations aren't necessarily bad. Um, they're just... Uh, it's just... It's unfortunate how, <laughs> like, everything backfires on him. So he's got a news camera, and they're filming the unmasking of Spider-Man. It turns out to be Flash Thompson, which you know isn't uh, Peter Parker. It seems like the scoop of the century. J. Jonah Jemison's watching back on TV. At first, he's enormously pleased. But then the real Spider-Man is still at the party, and he lets uh, J.J. know uh, that, um, no, I'm obviously the real Spider-Man. And uh, um, Ed Asner's performance as J. Jonah Jameson, another amazing uh, character actor here. He is just like, oh, I could tell you're the real Spider-Man because I can practically smell you at this point. And he's just incredibly frustrated with Brock. He's like a buffoon in his eyes. Um, but meanwhile, uh, Kingpin's goons come bursting into this uh, live uh, uh news broadcast they destroy the tv camera so the broadcast cuts out and their intention is to kill spider-man obviously and uh this is a shock to the smize they're in a sense double cross they thought they were just going to be turning spider-man over to the police um but osborne informs them that you don't understand uh and then um so they're about to kill uh flash thompson but luckily spider-man arrives in the nick of time he easily uh, like rips open a like quadruple layered steel door he like bends it like it's uh you know like silly putty or something it, sh- it just shows you his enormous strength um and he you know starts tangling with these goons um there's a funny scene where the goons uh point a gun at uh the smize and say turn on the spider slayer how do you turn it on and, and smize is like push that button and it's just dumb that there's a big red button on this on this enormous spider slayer robot uh it turns on um, you know, there's, like, a, a long, like, interesting fight scene. Uh, another nice element that we're going to see much more of, Spider-Man runs out of webbing, which is always a great, like, dramatic uh, uh, heightener of events whenever he runs out of his uh, his webs. Um, and, uh, but, you know, the spider is going after uh, Flash, who still has the costume on, and Peter has to save him. Interestingly, he throws some web cartridges in its... Um, and it's rocket boosters, and they goo up its inner works, and then it falls into the vat of acid conveniently, the only acid that can destroy the robot. So the Spider Slayer is taken care of, uh, care of. Flash is rescued. 
Uh, Flash comes to Spider-Man. Don't tell any of my friends. Don't tell Peter Parker, especially. I, I really like you, Spider-Man. I'm too embarrassed. And Spider-Man, who like actually could use this because Flash is his rival to get back at him and humiliate him, like knows that he, he can't do that. And he has to do the right thing. And it's just funny that Peter is in a weird place where he, like, his number one rival loves his Spider-Man persona but hates Peter Parker. And it's just like all these like bizarre interpersonal complications that Peter is in the middle of all these deep twisted ironies that he can't untangle himself from to use another uh, web metaphor um, it's just like what makes the show like awesome and addictive and great so Flash is saved uh, the robot's destroyed but in the midst of this robot being destroyed the lab blows up and it's presumed that the father of Smythe dies in the explosion I forget if he comes back he might I, you know, there's, like, so many things. It's hard to, it's, I'd say it's hard for a show to kill off a character like that. Um, King Payne later talks to the younger Smythe, and he says, you know, your father still, his, he still disappeared. He's not outright dead, so no one really knows for sure. I have a feeling he comes back. Um, uh, but anyway, um, like, there's just some more great humor, uh, back, uh, at his apartment, J. Jonas Jameson, um, you know, he's, he's firing Brock because he's been humiliated. The Daily Bugle's been humiliated. And he says, all oh, the networks are laughing at me, even Fox. And wow, what a timeless joke. <laughs> I know The Simpsons were making fun of Fox for years, too. And um, But The Simpsons is like a high-level adult satirical show um, with, like, you know, like I said, adult content. It's it's not it – wasn't a show necessarily aimed at kids. Spider-Man's a show aimed at children. And to just have a blatant, like – like mention that Fox is a joke network, and I'm, I know that the show predated Fox News as well, um, but still, it's just like it's a ti- it's a joke that rings timelessly true, um, and I, I really laughed out loud uh, when he when he burned Fox. Um, so Brock gets fired; his life is in ruins. He, can, he almost can't believe it. Again, Eddie Brock, voiced by Hank Azaria, speaking of The Simpsons, a great vocal performance. Um, Spider Man sending the waves of like you know saves the day, but like how many more problems are left in its wake? Uh, Meanwhile, Felicia dumps Flash for being such an idiot and dressing up the Spider costume, and then she also dumps Peter, like I said, for abandoning her at the party. Um, meanwhile, uh, Smythe, the younger Smythe in his wheelchair. Oh, the reason the older Smythe was helping Osborne, I don't know if I mentioned it, was because he promised him a hover chair for the younger Smythe. So, <laughs> you know, um, it's a shame that they didn't contact Professor X uh, up in Westchester, because, by the way, this is a shared universe with the X-Men animated series. Um, Professor X has certainly has his own, uh, he probably has some backup flying chairs he could have given to Smythe. Um, I don't know why Smythe necessarily needs a hover chair. Like, what benefit does that give him in general. I mean, later on, we're going to see he's going to get the hover chair from the Kingpin, and it has a bunch of computers in it and stuff, and he could do science as, like, a workstation. But, I mean, is that necessarily, like, does this does the father have to make the sacrifice of making murderous killing machines for the purposes of just getting a hover chair? I find that motivation a little strange, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Kingpin, meanwhile, fuels the uh, sense of... He instills the sense of revenge in Smythe, and Smythe, uh, going forward, will be a, a devoted opponent against Spider-Man um, uh, and a full lackey of the Kingpin, all due to his father's tragic demise. Well, supposed demise. So, and, you know, he's crying on a hill with the Kingpin. So that's pretty much the end of this episode. Le- oh, man. <laughs> uh, a lot to recap there. Um, really just a brilliant load of fun. I don't know what else to say. It's just... 
it's so much fun to watch these episodes. It's a lot of fun to to try to even talk about them. I hope this episode made sense. You know, it would have been a lot clearer with Sonya here, so we could have bounced back and had a dialogue. But yeah, even still, um, a lot of fun to to yammer on endlessly about about all the ins and outs and all the things that make the show great. Um, uh, I think the next episode is something called like the Spire Slayers Return. So we're not done with the Spire Slayers yet. So probably technically a two part episode, but really like. Even if episodes are supposed one-offs, they're, most episodes flow right from one to the next. It's, it's, it's a very continuity-heavy show. Um, I'd say even more so than X-Men. And, and it goes right through all five seasons. Because X-Men, the continuity was strong in seasons one and two. Um, but then it kind of loses steam as far as like uh, continuity-wise in season three. They do a lot of like miniseries like the Phoenix Saga, but then they started having a lot more one-off episodes where it's just random stuff happens to the X-Men, and the greater narrative thread is lost. Uh, in Spider-Man, I don't think you ever really get that problem. The, the, all the events like converge from one to the next, episode after episode, and like I said, it's like runaway trains all like heading towards each other from ten different directions, and it's, it's a lot of fun. So... Um, Thank you for joining me in this Sonya-less episode. She'll be back um, as soon as uh, this semester ends. Uh, so maybe not next week, but definitely, you know, she'll be back probably next week. Anyway, um, a reminder to everyone listening, uh, if you want to talk to me about this episode and all things Spider-Man or all things X-Men, join the X-Men Task Podcast Facebook group. Just search us out there. Um, and a reminder, too, that, uh, you know, if you are a big fan of the X-Men anime series and you just started listening to this podcast, uh, just scroll to the bottom of the list. We have every episode covered. So there's now a huge archive for you to go back and enjoy and listen to all those episodes. Um, so you and I are very proud of that. Um, also, uh, follow me on Twitter at Willie Simpson. Um, and um, what's the last thing? Oh, rate and review the podcast five stars whenever podcasters use. That is... Um, that would be very helpful to uh, helping the show uh, continue to spread to new audience members. So, again, thank you to everybody, and we'll see you again next week.